This episode of the Old Green Plane Podcast is brought to you by Silverhawk Aviation. Since 1991, Silverhawk Aviation, located right here in Lincoln, Nebraska, has brought customers the absolute best experience for charter flyers all over the Midwest. From a full lineup of Cessna Citation Jets to King Air Turboprops, Silverhawk Aviation gives you the freedom to fly where you want, when you want. Travel in total privacy while you avoid the inconvenience of long drives and those long, long lines. Not only do they provide the best in class charter experience, but Silverhawk is also a trusted services provider for all you pilots out there. From quick turnarounds for those who need to get in, fuel up, and get out to FAA certified maintenance and the best in class avionics upgrades, repairs, and maintenance, Silverhawk Aviation really has something for everyone. That includes you if you want to go out there and maybe plan a really cool business trip for your team or something you need for a business trip. It doesn't always have to be cool can be just get you where you need to go. All of that and above at Silverhawk Aviation. Check them out. Ask for Gene or Mike at silverhawkaviation.com. Again, that's silverhawkaviation.com. Okay, this episode. First one back. It's been a while. I miss everyone. I miss your ears. That's right, I do. And that might sound a little weird, but that's where I am right now. I'm inside your head. And guess what? I miss being there. Uh, we've been busy. You know, this is a passion project for Colin and I, so although we would love to do this full-time and we're trying to make it happen, um, this is uh, what we do on the side. Uh, but that doesn't mean we don't take it seriously, we don't love it, and this episode was definitely one of those that we were excited to get back in the fold with. Um, this is an episode with Dr. Jeff Stevens. Um, Dr. Stevens is the director of the Adaptive Decision-Making Lab and the Human and Canine Canine, that's right, Human and Canine Dogs Cognition Lab at the University of Nebraska and UNL. Uh, he received his PhD in Ecology, Evolution, and Behavior um, back in 2002. And it's important to note that because he studies not only humans uh, as a psychologist, but also animals and their behavior, uh, which is really, really un- uh, unique. And it's partially why I was drawn to him and found Dr. Stevens, the work he's doing at the uh, Canine Cognition and Human Interaction Lab. Um, it was a very, it was a really interesting trip and an episode, which we're excited to launch, um, here soon. Uh, a couple of notes before we get into this episode. One, I want to point out his Husker dog fest that they have going on this Saturday, September 21st, before the Husker game, uh, from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Um, the event is free to attend. Um, you can bring families, friends, and well-behaved and leash good dogs. Uh, bring them to campus, tour the Cognition Lab. It's in the 501 building. Uh, participate in dog activities, uh, watch demonstrations. All you got to do is search for Husker Dog Fest, and you'll find it online. All information. There's food and vendor trucks there. It's going to be really fun, really unique. Um, but this episode, this talk, uh, this podcast with Dr. Stevens is is one of my favorites. They're all my favorites, but this one was really unique because we got to talk about stuff I love, which is human behavior and dogs. Um, so we not only, if you're a fan or a pets yourselves, you're going to learn a little bit about yourself. I'm sorry. Uh, but you're also going to learn a little bit more about your pets, uh, old Fido or my first dog, Buddy. Uh, but in general, it's really unique because Dr. Stevens not only researches animals or dogs, as you know, but he also studies human behavior. In fact, one of his classes he has is uh, talks about the, the psychology of belief. 
and we get into how we believe the things we do, or maybe more importantly to some, how you get others who don't believe uh, what you believe, uh, how do you get them to just uh, have a little bit more open mind? And sometimes in this day and age, I think, although it's not important for us all to believe the same things, in fact, that's bad, um, it is important just to begin to see other people's point of view. And in fact, that's the first step to getting someone to believe or be aware of something outside their own worldview. What do you know? And we talk about that. Um, this isn't about politics or about divisive issues, although this is about the psychology behind them. And I tell you what, I find that stuff incredibly, incredibly interesting. So I'm going to shut up. I'm going to let you do the thing you do and listen and hopefully enjoy. Last thing. Um, this one was recorded in the basement of the 501 building uh, at the university in his uh, canine cognition lab. So bear with us on the audio there. We had to go mobile. Um, so turn it up a little bit more maybe you normally do. Um, I promise we won't break your speakers. And uh, anyways, the rest, as they say, is up in front. So let's uh, have some fun. Let's enjoy this. Our episode, canine, <laughs> canine genius known as Dr. Stevens on the Old Green Plain Podcast. So, anyways, so Dr. Stevens, it's good to see you again. Yeah, good to see you too. So you 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 landed at a get on old six two Tango. That's right. We took you. We dropped you. Dropped we dropped you off here locally. You know, at your office. Yes, we should let everybody know that we also have Linus, one of your sample size dogs. Which that's not that isn't right. He's a part of the sample, I imagine. Now that's he's right. been tested. He's a, he, he's a he's a pilot tester. We can think of him as a test a test pilot for the, <laughs> for the dog lab. What kind of dog is he to describe to people? So he's a, an English Shepherd. He's a beautiful dog, kind of kind of like a collie, a mix between a collie and an Australian Shepherd. It's a larger than Australian Shepherd, but looks a little bit more like one, but has the the coat a little bit more like a collie. Yeah, he's very well behaved. Very well behaved. Great looking dog. He yeah, seems he's, he's got a little attitude to him that makes him seem like a test pilot. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like he is a test pilot of sorts, which makes sense. You are a test pilot. You got to get up and and what I was going to ask you is, you land, you get out, you go home, you tell your wife. Yeah, sure. What What was the first thing that you told your uh, wife? Yeah, that's a good question. Gosh. <laughs> Um, I mean, I certainly told her how much I enjoyed it because it was a real blast yeah. to, to get up there and just to converse and talk about this and, um, uh, and of course, visit the, the Nebraska State Patrol. Yeah. Really, you know, good time there. Um, of course, yeah, one of the first things I had to do, which is new for me since I joined, started this lab, is I had to hit social media straight away. Right? <laughs> <laughs> all the, the yeah, let everybody experience Lord. this. So, Ugh, yeah. Gosh, I can't take it. <laughs> I mean, that's good. You Well, here uh, with the, the, the canine cognition lab that you started here at UNL over a year ago now, yep. um, you were kind of like you were talking about on the flight that day, last Thursday when we went up to shoot the episode, that which will air probably within a month or a month or so from now so those of you that are listening this still got a little bit of time between that but to describe that day um 
you know, we we go to uh, we first we land in Grand Island, obviously. On the way there, you fly. Yeah, that was pretty a fun. decent amount, yeah, by the I, way. Yeah, I did a pretty steep bank there to get you did to the uh, end of the landing and course correct. That was that's the other right. thing too. I was like, I was like, wow, Colin. I thought he was doing it. I peered over and I was like, <laughs> no, that's Jeff. You're yeah. doing that. But we go there, we go to the Nebraska State Patrol, their canine training unit, um, and then from there we went to the Coney Island lunchroom, um, and then we flew back, all in all, pretty quick. But, um, you know, to tie it together, kind of what I really want to talk to you about today is uh, I, for one, the first time I ever got into a plane, you know, I was fearful, uh, it, a lot of fear. Um that kind of drew like that was the that was my north like that was my north star like okay wherever i can okay here's where i'm scared at okay i'm gonna go at that and then i'm just gonna try to deal with that that's how i kind of know that like with this particular endeavor flying i run into it i don't know why i go into it so let's just use dogs as an example (laughs) like when they sense or feel fear like what's the reaction of a dog compared to a human does a dog have a sense to run not as maybe at it per se, like, you know, cars running across the street, let me go run in it. Yeah. But, you know, how does an animal or specifically a dog deal with fear differently than, say, I do now? Yeah, that's a good question. I think one, one of the clear things that they do is they tend to give, they're very clear about giving signals about how they're, how they're feeling at the moment, right? So, like signals like girls give me or, you know, friends <laughs> give me when they're like, you're talking too much. You mean like, stay away. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Is that the signal? Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 yeah, it depends. So um, whether, you know, if the, you know, there's fear, there's also issues of kind of dominance and subordinance, you know, aggression versus non-aggression. But one of the clear things is dogs pay a lot of attention to other dogs in terms of what signals they're giving and then, you know, give them, of course, in, in return. Um, and what's one of the, and of course, most animals mm. do this, right? Okay. Signaling is really important and, and that kind of thing. But what's really cool about dogs is they don't just pay attention to dogs. They also pay attention to humans. Right? Mm. They're very, they basically have been selected over, you know, thousands and thousands of years to, uh, to pay attention to humans. The ones who, who, who know how to read humans properly are the ones who got yeah. know, fed and yeah. stuck, stuck around. Um, and so to me, that's, what's really interesting is how well attuned dogs are to, to human emotions and, and, um, and the, and experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so, if, like, for instance, if we had Linus join us that day, he would have been looking at me being like, are you okay? <laughs> yeah, he, he might have come over. And, and, and there's certainly a kind of a subset of dogs that are, you know, the, the consummate uh, therapy dogs. Mm-hmm. You always hear the story of, you know, this therapy dog is so wonderful. That you can She can go into a room of people and pick out the person who's having the hardest time, Mm -hmm. the hardest day or Mm -hmm. whatever, and go right to them and give them what they need, right? Yeah. Give them that attention and that loving. And and so that's, you know, there's not any evidence to support that, but it's anecdotally, it's something that people talk about. And it's certainly clear that it does seem to be the case that dogs pick up on human emotions and, and, and respond to that and kind of can... Can 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 help you out. Yeah, what I had, I had someone who told me once, or might have been sadly listened to a podcast, which that's like the new Wikipedia. But uh, which I'm always quick to cite, Doctor Steve, just so you know, <laughs> I try to remember and pay attention. Yeah, uh, but I, you know, I, I don't, and I don't think we talked about this in the flight or the day last week. But I, I had read somewhere again, maybe heard on a podcast that dogs can understand up to around a hundred different types of human emotions that yeah. they can take in. You're th- what? Uh, no bullshit. I don't know. I, that, that seems not that, you. 
one, we don't, I don't think I don't think that we know this. Okay. Number one and number two, that's a lot of emotion. I know. I was going to say I don't know that like I have that much. Exactly. <laughs> I, I'm certainly not uh, emotionally. My emotional range, I don't think. No. <laughs> four. I got four. <laughs> Hungry. I won't mention the rest. But I mean, they they de- that that is a communication though. There's communication yeah. going on between the human that's not in word yeah. form, right? Absolutely. And and some of it might not be intentional from humans, and that's what's really interesting about mm. dogs. They can be picking up on things you, you know obviously if you're angry at your dog you show that emotion and without a doubt right up. right but you know if you had a bad day or your things are rough for you um or you, you know you're feeling stressed you're not intentionally trying to signal that to your dog but often they can they seem to be able to pick up some of those cues. yeah is that some of what you're trying to single out and sort of pick apart here with the cognition lab is is not like how your dog reacts to your subtle cues but or, or maybe i mean describe to me we walk through the lab here a little bit ago, Linus is upset because he, I think he heard something outside. I really do. <laughs> is that that's, a, one? that's what I do. I, he's just waiting for, uh, what? for his, uh, his, yeah, his waiting human for his to come back. Come, come visit. Come say hi. Um, but here you describe, we walk through, can you walk through real quick, just for me, high level, one of the, uh, like the study or the uh, experience you're c- conducting right now. Sure. Yeah. So, so right. I, I'm not doing anything on any kind of signaling or yep, communication right. in dogs. Right. At the moment, there's some really cool stuff, maybe some detection work that can maybe and be working on later mm. later on. But right now, kind of what I'm interested in in general, and I've tested in probably 10 or 12 different species, including humans, is impulsivity. So I'm interested mm. in when can we delay gratification versus when do we just go for those immediate payoffs yeah. that right now impulsive kinds of um, uh, options. And so that's that's kind of where I wanted to start with the dogs since I have a, you know, have a strong background in that in species from fish to birds to primates. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to test it with dogs. So we started off with a study that actually just replicated an existing study so that I can kind of work out the kinks of starting up a new dog lab, um, of which there were some. But the study right now is looking at, um, basically, you can think about it as something like spatial impulsivity. So okay. it's over space. How impulsive are you instead of over time? How impulsive uh-huh. are you over space? Uh-huh. So if I gave you the choice between getting a small reward and only having to travel a short distance for it versus having to travel a longer distance for a larger reward, mm. how do you trade those off? Mm-hmm. And, you know, how, how far can I push that larger reward before you say forget about it? Yeah. I, I want this, this huge now. this close one. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, yeah, because time is tied with space. It takes, yeah. Yeah, it yeah, takes yeah, time yeah. To, to travel. And so those are probably tightly linked. So, so the current study um, wanted to explore that and just measure that in dogs. So that's actually what we're measuring in the dogs. And like I said, I've actually measured this before in guppies and in primates. Mm-hmm. Um, so applying it to dogs wasn't a big, pro- a big problem. But we also wanted the kind of the, the purpose of the study was to see how well owners could predict their dog's impulsivity. Yeah. So we we're interested not just in measuring the dog's impulsivity, but also measuring the owner's uh, you know, basically surveying them to see how impulsive do you say your dog is, and does that map on to what we actually find? Find in the out. Lab? What did you find? Are humans pretty good predictors of their dog's impulsivity? Yeah, so that's, a, that's an interesting question. Yeah. So the original study... It's like a parent thing, sorry. I'd be like, oh, Johnny's so good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. okay. I think that's exactly right. right. Um, the, the original study found a, a pretty striking correlation So um, the, where owners could predict that. So if the owner said their dogs were impulsive, then they didn't travel very far in this, in this kind of task that mm-hmm. I described before. And they did it three different times uh, over different, three different sets of dogs, so it seems to be that they found a pretty uh, remarkable finding. We are not finding that at all. Like, 
basically our our study participants are just not able to predict their dogs um, mm -hmm. um, impulsivity levels in this particular task and this it's interesting because there could be a couple of different explanations for why this mm -hmm. is the case the original study was done in the UK it was done mm. in England and um, uh, so, much more pragmatic. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> so you know, there, which um, you know, we know there are a lot of cultural differences in how dogs are treated mm -hmm. and trained and and things like that. So there actually could be real cultural differences in something like this. Is it the case that Americans or Nebraskans or Lincolnites right, right, right. are just really bad at at predicting their their um, dog's impulsivity compared to someone in the UK, like that's a possibility. Mm -hmm. that, you know, there, there could be other explanations as well. Like they predicted to be better than it was or worse than there's it was? Just, no, they just there was no, they just really? Yeah. yeah, it you was didn't really... just all over the place. So, yeah. It, What's your thought then? What, what is your, I know, again, you know, in the, in the, essence of you know academia is yeah. about you know let let the numbers kind of sure, answer right. that for me but yet you are an yeah, expert yeah, right, right. so so I'm, I'm a, you know as being the, the scientist that i am the first thing i have to do is try it again ah, yeah right, right yeah and i'm and and with some modifications so there are a couple of little differences between how i ran it and how the original study mm -hmm. ran it i didn't expect to cause any problems but maybe they did so actually um uh, I'm rerunning. I'm going to be rerunning the study mm -hmm. in kind of different context. Actually, just started that over the weekend at the 4-H dog show. Oh, nice! Campus. So yes, we knocked out some 12, 12 dogs at uh, that after, on Saturday. Is, do each time that you get one, you're just like, yeah, another one in the bank because oh, it's numbers, correct? It is because also because you know, especially at the dog show. This is the first time we kind of did a traveling exhibit. So oh, we right. Went somewhere else and set up in a actually in classrooms uh, on the East Campus. Wow. And tried it there on a bunch of dogs who had just come out of obedience training and had gotten a bunch of treats trying to do mm -hmm, their skills mm -hmm. and stuff. And so it ended up being just a, a mess. It was a hot mess. <laughs> I was so flustered and stressed doing that. My students were having to calm me down and tell me, it'll be okay, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> because it was like, you know, just scheduling and the dogs weren't yeah. doing anything. And um, I, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what we'll do with those data that we, that uh -huh. we collect. But the, so one, so one of the ideas is to kind of keep trying, dry it again, yeah. see if we also if we get no effect again with some kind of tweaks, and also trying it in a different context. So instead of this kind of you know rather isolated artificial testing room that we were in here with mm -hmm. no owners, mm -hmm. um, can we set up the situation a little bit differently um, so that uh, uh, you know maybe we can get Get a more natural yeah. kind of behavior from the yeah. dog or something. Yeah. Like Hello. I'm sorry, I'm just the owner of this dog. You're the <laughs> owner of Linus. <laughs> you're on a podcast now, by the way. Yeah. So no, you're saying. <laughs> Linus is also on it. So, yeah. <laughs> just some whining. So, how many, your, how many students do you have that work uh, with you here in the lab then? Um, and do they all have to have dogs? Is that a prerequisite? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you only like you only want me for my dog. Yeah, so I have one graduate student, London, here who works in the animal side of things. So she works both in the bird lab and in the dog lab. Mm -hmm. I have another graduate student who works in the uh, human animal interaction side of things. Okay, and then probably about a dozen undergrads working between those uh, between those wow. two labs. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. a lot right now. Yeah. London, you have a great dog, by the way. I know. Linus so is awesome. <laughs> yeah. I like to put that publicly documented. Yes, it is. I, we already talked about him, <laughs> yeah, too. So yeah. if his ears are warm, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Well, I mean, it's it's great because the work that you're doing, I think, I mean, we talked about it in the plane ride, too, that, you know, not only is the uptick in money spent in the pet industry going, you know, up pretty consistently since, like, 2009, yeah. uh, but just uh, the relationship um, with... Uh, pets of any kind is is changing uh, my daughter spent a solid hour the other day watching parakeet uh videos on youtube <laughs> and you know she's convinced that parakeets are smarter than dogs so she's convinced she's convinced oh. because they were on the fence about parakeet or dog uh -huh. and it's it's now going to parakeet oh. you know or some sort of bird <laughs> yeah, yeah. not like a crow or a bird, right. but like a one that you would find it you know pet smart yeah. But I mean, I'm, we talked. That was the first question I asked you. The difference between you know, give what's a you know the human brain and a bird brain. Right. But uh, you were quoted. You were uh, literally cited in a Washington Post article two days ago. That's true. Uh, uh, about the size, different size of dog brains, and potentially what that means to their behavior. Which you're quick to state. Don't connect behavior to brain size and or breeds, correct? Yeah, we just need to, we just need to be... That's a subset of not being able... You sh we shouldn't do that with humans either because when we research, you know, biological things and connect them to behavior, then we get into murky waters. This is the That's same right. kind of thing that you're alluding to, right? Yeah, exactly. So this is a, you know, a known problem in the human neuroscience world mm -hmm. of kind of... We think that this brain area is... A so, or this brain area is active during a particular thing, mm -hmm. like a particular behavior, for example... Um, and then later on you do some other task and you also see that area active. You can't make the inference that therefore this be, the two behaviors are necessarily related to each other just mm -hmm. because they show activity in the same Unless area. there are. Well, unless you test it. Right. Right. You just need to test. You need to yeah. test it because it could be that there's some other variable that's associated with both of these things independently. So it's not the two yeah. behaviors themselves. It's some third thing that kind of that area is associated yeah. with. So, well, it's yeah. like the impulsivity of dogs is similar to our, our lack of patience to wait for research to really like be sussed out or to more search, research to mount and tell the full story of the thing. I mean, we want to be quick to say like, oh, labs are better, whatever. I don't know. You know, I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to, I only can think of pit bulls yeah. and I think they're, I think improper, you know, um, I guess tag of just being, you know, a very angry or uh, um, aggressive. you know aggressive, yeah. you know, breed, right? Yeah, that's that's kind of what you're trying to guard against. Right? Yeah. So right. So that yeah, one side of things is worrying about the brain and what it does, and mm -hmm. the other side of things is worrying about breeds. And mm -hmm. There are there are kind of two two components to the breed problem. One is that people are terrible at determining breeds. Um, actually, yeah. It, it, what like, do you mean? Like just so from I, what we see? Yeah. It, yeah. So if, I have so no clue. I don't been, pretend. There was know. a study that just came out in the last year or so where they just had photos of dogs <laughs> and then they just said, ask people, what, give us, mm. you know, rank the breeds that you think these dogs mm -hmm. are. Usually they, they were, you know, some of them were mixed breeds, some of them were not. Um, and in general, people were pretty bad at it. Like the experts tended to nail the first, the top breed, the, you know, the primary uh, breed for that dog but after that it was forget about it yeah yeah, like yeah. sometimes you can get the, the, the first one yeah. but after that it's just no no well, good so we're, we're just not so you know when you hear about these things like pit bulls have been mauling mauling people for mm -hmm. example or attacking people um there's this kind of this basically the circle the circular logic of if it's attacking me it must be aggressive and it's probably something like a pit bull and if it looks remotely they like, like a, a pit bull mm -hmm. i'm going to call it a pit bull yeah and so then that adds another number to the to the to the count of you know pit bull attacks and so so there's kind of this yeah this mm -hmm. soul fulfilling yeah prophecy, prophecy kind of yeah, thing with, yeah. With this so so detecting the dogs you know, what dogs 
kind of cl actually classifying dogs mm -hmm. is really hard. Um, and then, and the other thing is there's just so much variation within breeds that that often can swamp any differences across breeds. Mm -hmm. Um, because often these days breeds aren't bred for their kind of their original purpose. So especially if you're interested in behavior, if you're trying to make a claim about a behavior right, right, right. that a breed does, you know, if that dog has been bred for looks for the fat, the last 150 years, instead of for that behavior, you know, there, there's a lot of variation now. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. There's a lot of variation. Yeah, exactly. So you yeah. just can't make strong claims yeah. about breeds. So either we're not good at naming them or the breeds themselves are kind of diluted and mm -hmm. lost their kind of behavioral purpose, if you will. Is that a uniquely a human problem to miscategorize? We seem to want to rush to judgment and put a tag on something to make, you know, to give us the warm fuzzies or to avoid the, you know, uncomfortable ease. But do dogs do that? Do dogs categorize their world so that they can make sense of it? Uh, you know, is that... I yeah, mean, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of the kind of classic ways... That, that so we're not just terrible, <laughs> terrible species. Everybody no, no. does it. Well, <laughs> well it, there's benefit to it, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so the, you know... Many, many species have to classify. In fact, almost all species, all sexual species have to classify because you have to say, are you male or female? <laughs> yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they yeah. get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've, we've all seen it yeah, at the yeah. duck pond or, yeah. or wherever, right? You, you, you get it, they get it wrong sometimes. So, that's hilarious. So both the classification and the misclassification <laughs> are, we see in oh, other species. That's good, that's good. Yeah. But I mean, for to, on my end, I think it's, it's I, I'm interested, you know, uh, in, for instance, just using your study, is it our inability to just judge or gauge, or is there actually some? You know, like you're trying to figure out, okay, what I guess what breed or whatever is a little bit more um, impulsive, but really, is it just? I mean, there's also that other part that you're sussing out, which I think is whole, is interesting, which is, are we just shitty at? Gauging or judging those we interact with on a very, very, very regular basis. I mean, dogs yeah. exist in this unique place for humans that no other real animals do. I mean, one, the dog actually comes to you as opposed to cats. Some cats do. Um, but, I mean, dogs are much more friendly. I mean, look at Linus, you know, right yeah. now. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 and what's really interesting is... And, and this is, I'm not going to say this is kind of scientifically supported, but... You can say things that are not scientifically no, supported. Not, not, not if I'm representing myself as a dog <laughs> expert. Um, but it certainly seems to be the case that you know, larger dogs tend to be more docile than smaller dogs, right? You hear, you yes. see the little yeah. yippy dog kind of yeah. attacking, but the, you know, the, how many Great Danes have you seen that just are aggressive? You don't. No. Because what, would ha what happens to the, you know, over evolutionary time, what happened to the Great Danes that were aggressive? Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're gone. Yeah. Right. That's just too dangerous. Interesting. A little yappy dog, you know, being aggressive. You can just, you know, move it out of the way. That's that's not a problem. So that can al be allowed to persist. Um, but yeah, you just don't you don't tend to see very aggressive large dogs. It's just too too much. Your your study um, your study that you're doing now about impulsivity and and the difference in in that spatial. Um, you're a her, her, I, yeah, I'm not a psychologist so. I'm also not London, so who probably knows these words. Uh, heuristics, heuristic, heuristic. Yeah. But that's inner. Is that temporal? Is that intertemporal? Is that how you say that? That's time based. Mm -hmm. That whether or not I'm willing to sacrifice short term money for long term gain. Are you? Are you? Is there any? Are you trying to connect the dots between a dog's ability to, you know, that that right one over there is much further? But man, that's a, that's steak, as opposed to this crap that he placed in front of me right here. Is this this? Are we trying to figure out because humans were not historically good at waiting for something that's maybe better? At least as I see it, right? All right. Can you one? Can, can you unpack that for someone who maybe doesn't know what heuristics is? That right? Yeah. Okay. Is 
Yeah, I guess I'm not following what the, where the heuristics part falls. Well, isn't I was reading in your cognition. It was in your. Um, it was the adaptive decision making okay. lab. Yeah. About um, just some research or some interest that you have, and it's, uh, it's I literally have the note heuristics of intertemporal choice. Choice, yeah, yeah. right. Okay, isn't yeah. that similar to a dog choosing to to I want the good food that's further away as opposed to this one that's right here? Yeah. So the heuristics idea is basically this trying to get at what's the mechanism of the decisions that we make. Mm -hmm. so, so are you trying to unpack that ultimately down we're, the road? Yeah, we're getting, we're getting that way. Okay. Right. So uh, the dogs were not there because we're trying to, well, right. to start. Yeah, but yeah. for example, that's what we're doing with the birds. So I also have a bird lab and we're doing that exact thing with, is that right? with the birds. So I'm mm -hmm. interested in this, in this impulsivity, mm -hmm. but I'm interested in what is the kind of, cognitive mechanism or model you trying to extract a model from yeah, that so yeah. we have some models that yeah that kind of give a rough idea of what the of, of what the cognitive mechanism might be that uh -huh. animals are using so so i have the data on humans so i have i think some pretty nice evidence suggesting that we do probably use something like a heuristic so a heuristic is basically just like a simple rule of thumb yeah right yeah. so instead of a complicated you know, evaluation of all of your options and saying, oh, that one is, you know, 12.6 meters away. <laughs> right, right, so right, that right. means I have to calculate this number. You know, that takes yeah. me approximately this amount of time to get there, which is this number of yeah, calories. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Right? and that's only going to be, it's only three pieces. There's probably yeah. only Johnny looks really good. That, and I'll just do what Johnny's over there. Right? This, but this is the way that yeah. a lot of economics views our human decision making. Yeah. Is that rational, exactly, one to one. Rational, uh, rational yeah. choice. Yeah. We, we know everything. Yeah. We, all of the, we have all the information that we need and we combine it in the optimal way to come up with the perfect, yeah. the perfect answer, right? Yeah. And um, the, the heuristics uh, view says that's pretty ridiculous. That might be the case and that might work in some very simple situations. But in general, we probably use simple rules of thumb to make these kinds of, yeah. of, of, of um, decisions. decisions. And so in your research with, what was it, bird? what kind of bird? So this is with pinion jays. Pinion jays. Yeah. Why pinion jays? So pinion jays because they cache food in the wild. Okay. So, so if you catch, so so they actually cache about forty thousand pine nuts. They worry about the fall. future. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. They literally have food in their mouths, and they're making a decision between swallowing it and putting it away for the future. Uh -huh. And they put forty thousand of them away for the future every fall. So so they basically they've been selected because it, you know they have to to survive. They've been selected to make these patient kinds of kinds of choices. Um, so that was really interesting to me. That because yeah. I have a species that's like built in has to be has to be patient. Um, they're also very social species, and I have other interests in social behavior and cooperation. So that's opinion jays are a nice species to look at some of these questions that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so what are you finding? Like, what what are you finding? What what is the model? Is it? Oh, I'm I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. I'll put this away. Or so what's what's interesting? Um, so I haven't tested the model yet in the opinion jays, so we're working on that right now. But I have done some other studies where I actually I wanted to see. You know, I, I kind of came in, I wanted to work with opinion jays because I had this assumption that because they cash, they must be patient. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I did a study where first I measured each individual's caching. I just let them cash and say, how much do you want to do that? How, how, basically how, you know, in mm -hmm. this caching context, how frequently do you put things away versus not, versus eat them or, or, or leave them? Um, and those same individuals I also tested in instead of the kind of spatial choice in the actual intertemporal choice. So here we have a something, we used an operant uh, experiment. Mm -hmm. So an operant experiment means we put the birds in a, 
situation where everything in the environment is highly controlled. Mm -hmm. and in this case, they had a touchscreen. So they had like basically an iPad in front of them. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> on this, on this it. iPad. 2019. That's right. <laughs> on this iPad, we would present them with a green circle uh, or a red circle. And so they could peck one of the two circles. And if they peck the green circle, they get a piece of food right then. Mm -hmm. If they peck the red circle, then they had to wait you know, 12 seconds or something, some, mm -hmm. some period of time before they could get three. So it's just like the dogs. It's one, mm -hmm. one versus yep. three, but yep. instead of one close and three far, it's one now and three later. Mm -hmm. And then we could keep pushing back the, the time for the larger to see when do they switch over, just like we were talking mm -hmm. about in space. And then that's a measure of the, the bird's impulsivity. Yeah, yeah, at least yeah, in yeah, this context. yeah. And so we did it, we did it, both of those measures with the birds, and then we correlated them. We wanted to see, is the bird that catches a lot also the bird that waits a long time? Yeah, keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Build yeah, yeah. up the suspense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they don't. Spoken <laughs> <laughs> so like a true researcher. Right. Yeah. So first of all, they didn't correlate, which, uh -huh. um, uh, which was a, a pretty surprising. I was I was expecting them to, to correlate, um, but you know, being the the scientist that I am, I couldn't couldn't stop there. So we actually did another experiment where instead of just doing a correlation. We actually manipulated their caching. Mm -hmm. So we manipulated their caching by changing the light cycle in their rooms. Okay. Because we figured, we assumed, and this was the case in other species, the light cycle is what triggers birds to start caching. So as the daylight shrinks in the fall, mm -hmm. okay. right, mm -hmm. that's the yep. signal to them. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, okay fall's it's coming. coming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Start caching. And so we actually did that in, in our own labs where one, really? one of the rooms we could we went and turned it, cranked it down so they had less light. Mm -hmm. In the other room we left as it was. Um, and then we did the experiment and then we switched it mm -hmm. so we hit again, um, and went back. So what, what the first of all, we did find that um, by changing the light cycle, we did change caching. So the mm. group that had the, the reduced light cycle started caching more. Mm. So yeah. caching yeah. manipulated. Check. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then we ran them in the uh, in the operant task again. No, no. difference there. So mm. so this so, so this was actually really useful because we showed that when you actually change caching, mm -hmm. which we did. You don't get the effect on on the other choice. So we had a pretty that's a pretty strong case mm -hmm. that it didn't, doesn't seem like there's a link to it, which which also makes sense because these birds are have been you know they've evolved to make these caching decisions, and so they're probably automatic, right? Without a doubt, built yeah. in, mm -hmm. right? It's like this I, some kind of hormonal change, mm -hmm. like you know, the light turns on, you know, the, the light cycle changes some hormones or something mm -hmm. that then change it and it just kicks in this kind of change in their feeding behavior. Um, whereas the, the operant experiment was, you know, very different than that. Group. Yeah. And so all bets are off basically. So you didn't, we did, you wouldn't necessarily expect a, a, a I have, connection. I have two, I need to find my pen. I have two uh, thoughts. And if I ever come I'm a very much tan, you know, tangent kind of guy. I'll just go wherever. So one, I'm interested in what's uh, your what's your true north. Like, wh how do you orient yourself? How do you view your world and code your world so that when you see something like, oh, that's interesting. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna learn more about that. I mean, what what's the rub? What's the moment when you see a thing that is it? Uh, it doesn't make sense, or is it? It's weird or different, or you assumed you made a hypothesis and that was wrong. You're like, huh, that shouldn't be. But what? How do you how do you formulate like? you know, what you're going to go research. Yeah, that's a great question. That I don't have you know, I've, I've been thinking it, about that a lot, though. Yeah, I have thinking about it a lot. For me, and it could be the case for other people. For me, it's, I, I don't have a, like a clear method for this. It, it really is kind of um, 
things just appear and questions just kind of appear out of out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. you, you go to a talk at a scientific conference and you le learn about someone's research and it tr kind of triggers mm -hmm. a question in your own mind and you start thinking about it and then that mm -hmm. spins off into a, a research project. Um, yeah, it, it's some sometimes it's the case that actually, so for me, actually observing an animal, mm -hmm. animal interactions triggers these kinds of questions. And that's, for example, so, so one of the things I said I would get back to is the, some, some of the kinks that we were ironing out. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. One of the, the interesting things, in the dog things, lab. In the dog yeah, lab, yeah, right. yeah. One of the interesting things that, that came out is very quickly, very early on when we started testing the dog lab, or starting testing the dogs, is that a lot of the dogs suffered from separation anxiety from their owners. So mm -hmm. the, the way we have it set up, the dogs go into a room first with the owner, um, but then we have the owner leave the room and they can, the owner can watch from the outside. Um, but the dog is in, in the room just with the experimenters to do that. We don't, some, so we're worried about owners cueing dogs or, you know, it's the mm -hmm. same kind of thing with kids too. Oh yeah. yeah. Like, don't being stupid. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, we, we don't want don't them to embarrass me. Exactly. Don't embarrass me. <laughs> yeah. So that they can only be embarrassed by watching it on video and they can actually, <laughs> We don't want that interfering with right. the study. So, so we pulled them out and kept them out separate. But that seemed to cause a lot of problems. And almost half of the dog, or about half of the dogs that we tested had the separation anxiety. And getting back a little bit to the predictability issue, mm -hmm. very early on, we started to ask in advance, does your dog have separation anxiety? Mm. And the vast majority of the owners no. told us, no, of course mm. my dog doesn't have separation anxiety. <laughs> um, but then, you know, still half of them. So we didn't, like, by adding in these questions and things, that didn't that didn't help us at all. Like, right. we basically got no benefit from asking about this in, in advance. It's just as common as it, as it was if we didn't ask. So... Um, so this raises, this is one of these things that's like, wow, there's this phenomenon where in these here in this, the pool of subjects that we've tested, which might be an interesting, um, you know, sub, yep. sub yeah. population yeah. anyway, which is, you know, we could kind of think, think about that there, yeah, there could be some really interesting differences here in how these dogs are interacting with, um, with their owners compared to maybe another, other yeah. places or other populations. Yeah, that is interesting. I mean, I, most of the people I know that have needy dogs, you know, are. They're needy themselves. <laughs> no offense. I'm I mean, not, you're not that. Your dog is amazing when I'm you're not, away, by I, the way. Not, I do not endorse that. <laughs> Listen, that that's Craig Spoker right there all the way, all day long. I was, you know, I grew up, grew up uh, you know, had pets, had dogs, um, and, you know, they were work dogs to us. They were hunting dog, bear we had growing up. And, I mean, you know, we'd have them inside. You know, we lived in Beatrice, Nebraska, so we had a little bit more room, and space to roam. But my mom grew up on a farm. And uh, they had a quite a large dog. My mom doesn't know what it is to this day because she literally scarred. And it jumped on her, knocked her over, and she I think she broke her elbow or it hit something. So it was, the dog was not the dog's fault, and more than likely the dog was just being friendly. Sure. But that scarred her. Yeah. So it became very much a standoffish kind of experience with dogs. So I've had a I, I have yet to as a you know uh, single adult male post you know living out of his parents' home have my own dog, our own pet of any kind. And I think about that. I wonder. What is it different about me? And one of the things I worry is that we would be so codependent. <laughs> I would have the most obnoxious asshole dog known to man. Because I love him. I no, I'm a great dog uncle. I say this all the time. I'm a hell of a dog uncle. Although my sister will love this story, which don't judge me, okay? So I have my dog uh, uncle, my dog nephew mm -hmm. over Gage, okay? And my sister Courtney, I apologize. You know the story already. I hid it from her for a while. 
But uh, so I have her over or have him over for a two day stay and I, I know Gage well and, and so he knows my place and so he kind of got the, but uh, you know, I live alone. My kids aren't with me. You know, they, they, I'm divorced. The, the listeners know all this. <laughs> kids are with me half the time and so it was one of those days when I was alone, So I, which I love. <laughs> so, but I also don't, I don't have the dad ears on, right? I don't have the like waiting for someone to break in and kill my family, right. you know, ears on. So that night, that night, and, and I keep things pretty dark too. Um, and that night, all of a sudden, I wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm like, "Oh man, God dang my, you know, my uh, my room, bathroom, the, the, the sink must make a noise. This little like, this little weird kind of just simple noise." So I'm sitting there, and I'm laying, and my bed is a platform bed, so I'm pretty close to the ground, and I don't hear, don't hear anything else except this little weird noise. And all of a sudden. I get this nose right on my face, and I react <laughs> like I, I like I'm being attacked. <laughs> and I just elbow that poor Gage so hard. He's still, oh God, I get oh Gage, I'm so sorry, right. buddy. Yeah. So much love, you know. Oh my God, you know. And this is like one or two in the morning, so I'm kind of sleep in my bed, which I'm definitely not like that. Okay, night two. So. I live uh, North Lincoln, and I live uh, like in a condo in kind of an older area near Wesleyan, and so I, I have the luxury of having like my own rooftop, okay? So um, I have this little connector part, and it's kind of hard to describe, but <clears throat> there's the, the, the rooftop part accesses through these small little sets of stairs, and then uh, below that are my actual stairs to go down to my car or my parking lot. And, and so there's a gap between where my deck is from where you exit like the normal room and to where he was, which was up on the kind of adjacent um, rooftop. And he should have taken the route of going to the edge of the property, going down the steps and meeting me at the, you know, the deck where I was. But he saw me and he was at the far <laughs> edge and he's turning us, Gage, what are you doing? Get off of there. Get over here. And he's looked and he jumped. Uh. And he literally jumped and landed, straddled on my railing, on my, on the like, yeah, thank you, Lord. Whoa. I'm a good dog owner. I promise you, Dr. <laughs> Stevens. He just looks at me like, what the hell just happened? And I take off running down for him and grab him before he falls, luckily, and hold him. I'm just sitting there like a, literally like a father would with a hurt child yeah. and embarrassed looking around like, how horrible am I? And then we went and got Burger King. But, <laughs> but Impossible Burger? No, yeah, the real thing. That's, real, he yeah, would have waited for that. He would have had it at the end of the row and waited for that, <laughs> believe me. Um, I mean, listen, I'm, don't judge me out there if you do. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk about, too, just from our, uh, there's some things like we, at the end, it was a long day. It was six hours last it week was, plus, yeah. but you handled it like a champ. Oh, it was wonderful. Yeah. It was one of those, yeah, those days that, yeah, it just ex absolutely exhausts you, but you have a, it was a, it's a yeah. great time. Well, you talked about one of the other classes you teach, which is like perspectives. In, That's right, perspectives and psychology. And right now you're going over belief and the psychology yep. of belief. That's right. And you know me, I like to do my, my little research, and I make such shitty notes. Belief-dependent... Realism. Realism. Yeah. Talk to me, and specifically talk to me. You, you had some of your students a few years ago go to an art exhibit. And look at art that was uh, controversial. That's right. In nature. That's right. 
Well, they and actually built the art exhibit. They built the art, and the yeah. art themselves? Not the art, the, okay. art, the, the art exhibit. So, okay. so this is at the Sheldon Museum yep. here, here on campus, which is a wonderful art museum. If you haven't visited, make sure you come Amazing. do so. Mm-hmm. Free, free admission. Oh, right. Come in. Um, and so, yeah, so the, the class is about belief and controversy. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to pick up on the controversy side of things. So, so I worked with the, the Sheldon Museum staff, and they brought out a, a, a series of pieces that they thought were controversial. Mm-hmm. So the students came in in groups and picked one piece for each group um, and then researched that piece mm-hmm. uh, and then wrote up the little yep. blurbs yep. to write on the mm-hmm. side of it. And then we actually put it all together and had a little, had one of the rooms where they put they they put our put our pieces up there. They explained the situation yep. like this is a controversies in art. I forgot exactly what it was called, um, and talked about the fact this was a class based and about controversial issues. Uh, and then had the little you know each little blurb explained why the piece was controversial and mm-hmm. what what it meant to the. What are you trying to What are you trying to get from them in terms of how they see belief? I, I just wanted to give them a new, a different view. So this is just not something you do in in classes, right? You don't get the opportunity, yeah. Especially the in cool the, professor in science, <laughs> yeah. science based yeah. classes. Like when is art, yeah, involved? In? Mm-hmm. It's just not right. Yeah. And so this is a, a chance to kind of bring these things together. Um, and I, because the, the, you know, the part of the purpose of this class is to give students lots of different opportunities to deal with controversy. Mm-hmm. They also have to do what I call a belief challenge, where they have to go experience something that challenges their belief. They mm-hmm. have to go to a meeting or go to a rally or something that, that completely goes against their own view mm-hmm. um, to, to get exposed to something different. Because mm-hmm. so many of us live in our echo chambers yeah. and we don't ever do that. Um, and so I kind of force them to do that. They also have to do a, a, an interview where they interview someone mm-hmm. where they know they have a different, you know, mm-hmm. different belief than they do about a particular issue. So in yeah, d- belief dependent realism, yeah. or <clears throat> it, 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 I'm totally summarizing duh. Mm-hmm. that the, the belief comes first and then our reality comes second, that we make sense of reality based on what we think we know of it. Exactly. I mean, and to me, this is a really powerful concept, especially if you know about it. Yep. yep. <laughs> it, it helps. It helps a lot mm-hmm. to know that this exists, which is that's you absolutely hit the nail on the head there. We have often, we have a belief first and beliefs can come from lots of different places, mm-hmm. our parents or authority mm-hmm. or evidence, mm-hmm. which is what hopefully, you know, kind of what I'm pushing in this class. <laughs> yeah, right? Right. Like I'm a scientist, like yeah. most many yeah. things we should be able to try to get empirical evidence to, to build our beliefs. But usually that's not where it comes from. It usually comes from, from somewhere else, anecdotes and, you mm-hmm. know, things like that. Yeah. And so that's kind of the core. And, and from that, that literally changes how we see the world. So we literally, and we you know talk about this in the class, our perceptions change because our expectations about the world change. So that, and, and what we see you know, depends on what we are kind of expecting. And so how we see the world changes, how we bring in information and attend to things in the mm-hmm. world changes, what we remember depends on what our worldview. So we're much mm-hmm. more likely to remember things that agree with, so we seek out information that confirms things that yep. we already know. Right, right. And even if we're presented with alternative information, we remember things better if it confirms with, with yeah. our beliefs. Right, so we right, have right. a harder time even just remembering what happened. Is that confirmation bias? Exactly. Is that what you call it? Confirmation mm-hmm. yep. bias mm-hmm. is that, that idea. So this notion of yeah, motivated reasoning or belief-dependent realism, I think, is a really powerful thing to you know start with this start to get people to break down these silos yes break the echo chambers and know that you are just more likely to be 
to live and, and, and continue to see the world in the way that you see it rather mm -hmm. than the way it truly is mm -hmm. um, because of the way that human psychology works. Uh, this is highly relevant. And this sort of stuff needs to be talked about more. The reason why we do this podcast is because, yeah, you're not out here trying to talk about politics right. or anything like that. Yeah. However, <laughs> if you are alive in 2019 and you have your eyes on, your ears on, you pay attention to anything, I mean, shit, you're on Twitter now. That's right. Believe it or not, Twitter. How, how, do we get, how do we begin to break down those silos coming from a perspective of, if we, I mean, if it's changing mom's belief, yeah. if it's changing the thing that my grandpa said and I hear him say all the time, yeah. a certain word that I know to be uncomfortable and wrong, but now my buddies laugh at it and I'm just going to go along with it, which yeah. I grew up in a predominantly white area. And so I met a lot of that head on. And I, hate, I, I, I grew up, thankfully, of a mother whose belief was almost in dire opposite of a lot of people she grew up with. And now I see the world through, at least luckily, I see a, a fairly um, equal view. However, that can be on both sides. The person who's sitting on the whatever side, they think they're on the right side. So, A, what is the goal? <laughs> is the goal just to be aware that you're not the only one that has this thought or and or you may may or may not be right or is it should we find out what truth is the fact is and then i'll go believe that and just you know <laughs> you know get down and bend down to the like the like i think there's a south park i have a, a uh, episode where they literally started to pray to science <laughs> i think it was richard <laughs> dawkins <laughs> but i mean what how do we begin to break those styles down because to me that seems insurmountable right? yeah and, and, and i mean the short answer is it ain't easy. Yeah, it's it's incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of the science. But is isn't showing. that the her? Isn't that the that goes back to the temporal kind of like it's worth it if we are willing to put in the effort. To me, it's the reason why the hell nobody reads an article longer than eight hundred words today. It's mm -hmm. time. I don't have it. Right. But these are the necessities of tackling or combating these very issues, right? So yeah, if they push past that that they are going to uh, tackle a very complex and unique issue like, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. I don't want to call it like, because it's not like they're being programmed, but, you know, deprogramming your... Yeah, it's called debiasing, actually. Uh -huh. the, yeah. So what would be the first step if someone thinks, you know what, I think I'm on the wrong side of history here, or at least on the wrong side of this belief, what, what should I do? Yeah, well, so one of the kind of classic debiasing techniques is to be forced to take the perspective of the other individual. Um, mm, get into that, someone else's shoes exactly and to to and to you know force yourself to really even argue for for that other side mm. which is hard and, but that's it's easy to do in a classroom setting mm -hmm. right and that's yeah. actually really fun you, know, you can randomly assign yeah. folks to debate talk yeah. debate sides and you know and i did that actually on day two of my class um uh, and it was really fun listening to the folks who were like, yeah. that was really hard, but I had to go against my, you know, my views. But you, that's how you learn about that. And, you know, they, and I couldn't tell just in listening and converse, I couldn't tell that they were struggling. Like they, mm. they'd gone, you know, they made the arguments that, mm -hmm. that supported this, this um, claim that was, goes against their own, their own beliefs. So, so, you know, that's definitely one important, important piece is being able to put yourself in that other view. Another thing that helps a lot and which is you know, good or bad because it can be used or well, it is used you know, on a daily basis um, is anecdotes. So, you know, mm. very vivid example examples of someone, you know, in, in, all, in all of the debates, every you know, so true you, you hear, you know, Joe the plumber, like, oh, you know, he had yeah. such a hard time when he yeah. lost his job, right? So giving like a face and a name uh -huh. and, a, and a specific concrete situation, that, ten, that is really something that our minds grab onto, giving us, you know, 
boring statistics like 75% of people, <laughs> right. oh, I don't know right. what that means, but say Joe the plumber lost his job, like that grabs yeah. your attention. So that, you know, that, and this is what all the marketing does too. Right? I was just going to say, yeah. and news, I mean, frankly, the modern that's news, right. you know, cycle is built on yeah. this same thing. So, so that's kind of one way that all, another kind of strategy that mm -hmm. can be used to, to try to help do this. But I mean, it, it's just, it's really hard. It's yeah. just a really hard what are your students, you know, they give you, you know, at the end of every course you do in college, you know, you give the feedback, the professor feedback, you know, not giving away specific things that people are saying, but have you learned anything about what people, uh, student, your students are learning maybe about themselves or about society at large or how they view it, uh, especially belief yeah, from those? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, this is where, this is the class that I, I get probably the most out of because mm -hmm. at the end of the year, I get the list of the students who are like, wow, this was, this, this was really eye-opening. Mm -hmm. you know, you know, a lot of classes purport to, part of the main reason to go to, to the university is to learn how to think critically. Mm -hmm. But a lot of classes don't actually deal with that. They don't mm -hmm. really force you to think mm -hmm. critically. And this is one of the classes that does. And so that comes out a lot in, mm -hmm. in, their, in their evaluations is this class really made me think and it made me, you know, it changed in some cases, you know, that's where like, I love the belief challenge occasionally. That doesn't happen often, but occasionally that. you get the like, wow, I really learned a lot and this actually changed how I, Think about something, yeah. and that's what I want to. That's what I want to be able to do is to challenge these these students and make them really think critically. And you know, make, they don't have to change their mind, but they need to have good reasons for mm -hmm. for, for their beliefs. Mm. I love it. That's good. Um, okay, let's talk about the bell curve. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Just because it sounds horribly you mean boring. In the statistical sense, like, I'm happy to talk yes, about yes, the, the yeah. normal distribution. <clears throat> is the, I, I'm fascinated by gray. I think we run today to find the binary choice, the yeah. easy one. The, yeah. Well, that's black, that's white. You know, and that makes sense to me. I can, you know, my warm fuzzies, and I can feel good about what I believe, right? Yeah. But most often, time, like we were just talking about, it takes it takes stepping into someone else's shoes. It takes a little bit more. You got to be willing to push. You got to spend some time on that. It's not black and white. I find the bell curve it gets a bad name. <laughs> Is that rightfully so? Like when you're trying, when you're your students, you're like, oh shit, everybody, you know, they're on the low. You would have assumed they that bell curve would have been right about here at ninety percent, but they're you know creeping on the. What, what tell me about what I can learn from you know the bell curve of a society that that. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like we're there. It feels like it's the inverse. It feels like there's just edges, and and it's a huge valley. Yeah, that and that's a that's a good point. So it, I guess it depends on what you're talking. Well, about. Well, for right. sure, right? Yeah. So yeah. so if we're talking about height, height is, a, is beautifully <laughs> illustrated. By, by <laughs> right. Two bell curves, male yeah. and female, separately, yeah. right? Um, but I, yeah, that's a good question about the the. Um, so basically, we are talking about distributions. We're saying mm -hmm. how do, how is a certain kind of trait or characteristic mm -hmm. distributed across the population, mm -hmm. um, and uh, a lot of things do fit that, and, and um, but a, a lot of things don't. don't. And mm -hmm. in fact, this is something interesting for people who are trying to measure these things. People who are developing surveys. Or mm -hmm. I was just thinking about <clears throat> polls. Polls sometimes polls, seem to do us wrong in that regard. You have to, yeah, you have to be very careful in trying to understand what the distri underlying distribution is to really ask the question in a way that can mm -hmm. get what you're trying to get at. Right. And I mean, you worry about it here in the dog lab. 
sample size. You know, you wouldn't yeah. begin to say, well, Linus, he waited forever for that. So no doubt that means, you know, you would just off one. But we do that. We hear one person say a thing. And I mean, that goes right back to what yeah, you're saying about. Uh -huh. exactly. So, I mean, I... I, I I can't imagine what it's like for you, a scientist, a psychologist who's studying things you're studying in this day and age. Although dogs are, I think, is a little bit more fun topic that, you know, gets a lot of people happy that they're not dealing with what else is going on, right, sadly, yeah, in society. Yeah. But, I mean, you have to find a little bit of an assault on the scientific method in today's day and age, don't you? What do you mean? Meaning, like, we don't take the same time to just hypothesize, hypothesize about something and then if I'm wrong, go and find out why or try to gather. Just, I'm not talking right. about in scientific sense. Yeah. I'm talking about me right. as a layman, you know, going out and saying, I think this is right. Oh, shit, that's wrong. Why is that? Let me go figure out. Maybe I didn't figure it out right. Maybe I didn't understand what the numbers actually told me. Right. But I, it seems like we're forgetting that, you know? I, I, I wonder if we are yeah, at least. And I think this likely gets back to the heuristics that we talked about before, yeah, right? Like, good point, yeah. It's so incredibly time-consuming to have to find out all of the information that you need <clears throat> to build a belief about every aspect of life. <laughs> right, right. It's just impossible. Life. Mm -hmm. So we use, we use heuristics. We say, okay, I got you know, one strong anecdote. That's all I need because, you know, if it's so okay. negative, for example, then I don't want to run the risk of, getting that outcome if, it, if it's like that. So I'm just going to, you know, all, all cars like that must be lemons because I heard, you know, my buddies, my buddies was a lemon. So I'm never going to buy that right, right, car. Right. Right? I'm not going to go research. There's no reason for me to go out and research all this. I have this information that's readily available to me. Yeah. I can make a quick decision based on it. Well, I imagine your students appreciate what you're teaching them. I, I would love to come so. and take it. What is that called when you tour a class? What's that called? Audit. Audit. Yeah. I don't want to use that word. I don't even know how the hell to, how the hell to say heuristics. nothing to do with IRS or anything. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. A lot of it. Yeah. That's also true. Um, okay. Let's transition. Uh, we can, you know, as we've put Linus to sleep, so that's a good sign of how well this podcast will go. Um, you got uh, on September 21st, mm. right? Um, the UNL I, I, Husker Dog, dog Day Dog Fest <laughs> Frick um, Tell us a little bit about that And obviously we'll have links and everything in the show notes yeah, So great. everything will be there But um, t t I want to know more about what If I bring you know Colin's dog Kevin mm. What can yeah, he love participate to meet, in love to meet Kevin. I know Colin was sick today He wanted to come but yeah, was I was like well I don't I don't really care about you buddy I'm talking about <laughs> the dog Kevin, Where's yeah, Kevin at? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, are you okay? Yeah, oh, you yeah, too. You too. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is the second annual Dog Fest. So last August was the first time that I, I did this. So this was basically, this is really what kicked off the, the, the Canine Cognition and Human Interaction Lab. So last year I did it because I needed to sign up dog owners to get into my database so that I could actually test mm -hmm. these things, right? Mm -hmm. So right. basically I decided what better way to do that than to throw a dog party on campus. That's <laughs> my favorite kind of party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everybody loves a dog party, right? right. So go yeah. dog go. <laughs> <laughs> do you like my hat? <laughs> Does that go dog go? Right? Is that what you just said? Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned about that during the episode too, didn't you? No, power dogs or so. No, pow super power dogs. Super power Completely dog. different. Okay. Never mind. Yeah, completely different. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, and so it was a huge success. So we had, so we counted dogs instead of people. We had yeah. 200 dogs come. <laughs> this year we're going to count people. Oh, good. So yeah. we can, you know, people ask how many people came. Like, oh, 200 dogs. Yeah. Like, yeah I'm yeah, guessing 300? 300 or so people. <laughs> right, yeah. Sure. 
Um, so that was a, a, a great success. So we decided we're going to do this again and have a and have a really good time. So that's what. So basically, th- but this year we don't. We have over four hundred people in our database. Yeah. So that's not to say that you know if you're interested not to no, sign not, up, yeah. go ahead and, yeah. and and sign up. But that's not our main goal this year. Our main goal this year is to say, is to say, look, we've spent a year now collecting data on several different projects, and we want to tell you about it. So come on and have a dog party. Yeah. But you know we're not we're not here to push to try to get you signed up as much as we are to show you what we've done. Um, and talk about the research findings that we've that we've had. Uh, so that's really the kind of the, the key goal this this year. Um, but we're going to have it's going to be a blast. So we have the um, the UNL canine unit and the Nebraska State Patrol uh, police dog division oh, yeah. mm-hmm. coming here to show us how show us how the canine dogs you know what what they're doing. So which is both explosive detection and. And uh, patrol kinds of kinds awesome. of things. Yeah. yeah, we have some um, obedience demonstrations to show what your dog could be like. What <laughs> 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 the one percent? Yeah, 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 yeah. Really, like Linus, you can, exactly. you can maybe Linus get to Linus. Totally, mm-hmm. totally do that. Um, we're going to have some stock dogs. So these are herding dogs. Mm. So the university has a herding dog team that competes what? against other university herding herding dog teams. No way. Yeah. So um, they're going to come and show us how they can control their, their the herding dog. That's cool. Yeah. I'm looking, looking forward to that. We're going to have search and rescue dogs that there are some around here around town that um, are trained for search and rescue. We have um, so disc dogs, the Nebraska oh, disc dog yeah, yeah. is going to come and, and represent and do a little frisbee dog action. Mm-hmm. And we have the musical freestyle. So this, uh, what? Yeah, yeah. So we have a dog that raps. <laughs> oh no! Never mind. So this is where the the dog and the owner have a choreographed dance. Oh, I've seen. Are you doing that? <laughs> No offense to whoever does that. I'm no, sure it's mighty yeah, interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Like, I, I, this is gonna be I want to meet cool. that person. I want to meet that yeah, human. Yeah. So this is part of the Greater Lincoln Obedience Club. We'll be having some representatives. There's a Greater Lincoln Obedience Club. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll be every, damned. Yeah, there's you know, all kinds of... I don't have, I'm not a member to one single club. <laughs> well... I have nothing well, going on in my you life. You do that, except you don't have a dog. So that makes True. Sense. Well, because I shove them off of roofs and kick them <laughs> in the middle of the night. That's right. I did a kick up my elbow them. <laughs> so, so those are the demonstrations that we'll have going. We'll have vendors there selling yeah. dog products and services. And human products, and I hear, like food. And ser- yep, though we have food trucks from Muchachos. Yeah, I love Muchachos. That's good. Kona that's Ice. The, that's the plan. Um, we, Can, give, we give lab tours as well. Yeah, so we good. Come down and hang out where we are here and see. The Is it lab. like literally right around here, <clears throat> the stadium area? Yeah, or? so it'll be just actually just south of Memorial Stadium mm-hmm. and just south of. <clears throat> Excuse me, Manter Hall. It's not a game. It's an away game Saturday. It's an away, away game. Yeah. Yep. It's an evening game. You got too, the so, conf- yeah. awesome. Usually there, so no no conflict, mm-hmm. no excuses for not being uh, being here at least in terms of football. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's uh, should should be a really good time. No, I'm, I'm excited. We'll make sure we'll push those links out and get people more aware, so you can have even more dog numbers and want. human numbers. That's right. Um, real quick, because I was thinking, it is it okay for dogs to eat human food? Or is it the same kind of thought we should have with eating human food ourselves, which is like eat good human food? Yeah. So 
I, so it, it, I think it's, it's possible to make a, a diet. Cause it's a behavioral food. and a human uh, and their own health issue. Because if we're feeding, I mean, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but I'm imagining it's too. Yeah. And so th there's certainly recipes that you can make that uh -huh. are, you know, there's a lot of like boiled chicken and yeah. bees and like, yeah. those kinds of things. So, so that definitely. They don't like hot Cheetos or do they? <laughs> That's an empirical question. That I don't have the answer to. Maybe it sounds like you might have some data on this. No, not all. I hate. I love hot and spicy, <laughs> but I cannot get over how crazy people are going with spicy Cheetos. And uh, I'm like, okay. with dogs, yeah, are dogs I, in that? That's a good question. I don't. I would guess. Are that, their, that their, their they taste would, buds intense? Yeah. I mean, one interesting thing: birds don't have this this problem at all. They don't have like so. Capsaicin is the okay. Uh -huh. the yeah. Right oh yes. Right? Okay. Birds yeah. don't detect that at least as far as as far as I know. So this is why people tell you to put like hot pepper in your bird seed that keeps the squirrels away but the birds can eat it because they don't detect it. So I'm guessing that like like a, like a good mammal, dogs Just probably can detect the spiciness of capsaicin. So the knowledge nuggets coming out of this episode are uh, unreal. <laughs> you probably don't want to feed them hot, spicy hot Cheetos. I wouldn't. I don't advocate that no, myself. No, that would. Not. But I mean, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much against giving dogs human food in of any general. kind. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it, it depends. Some dogs can eat anything, mm -hmm. like they have guts mm -hmm. and steel, right? Mm -hmm. Other dogs have very sensitive stomachs, and you, you know, feeding them from the table is a really bad idea. Yeah, in general, mm -hmm. happens a lot, but it's just a, it just sets a bad precedent mm -hmm. for for your dog. Um, so I don't I don't recommend doing that. But yeah, it, that's so it, it's you know. You can make food. Mm -hmm. You hear that, mom? <laughs> By the way, did you hear that? <laughs> she isn't listening. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> passing judgment on anyone. Who does yeah. that, but I recommend against it. She would every once in a while. She would be such a stickler on the rest of us with our dogs growing up, and then she would be the one, you know, yeah. sn sneaking. So you it. give them an inch. You, they take a, well, whatever it is to dogs. Yeah, is it like the paws? paws so, yeah. Is one mile, seven miles to dogs? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, Dr. Stevens, um, anything else you want to plug? Anything else you got going on? I want to make sure you get a chance to talk about well, anything else you got going on. Sure. I've got too dang much going on. But one of the one of the other things that I can plug, another fun opportunity to have coming up, is on October 22nd, I believe, um, is the Science Cafe. So Science Cafe is this event that the Moral Hall, or the Natural History mm -hmm. Museum, puts on. They used to put it on in the planetarium. Now it's actually at the Happy Raven, mm. um, where it's basically like a... a a science cafe for adults. So, so you go hang out um, in an informal setting and learn about some science topic mm -hmm. and get to drink beer. And so I'm actually putting one on to look to, to talk about some of the research on human animal interaction, on dog really? interaction, oh. positive psychology. Yeah. Uh, positive uh, psychology. Puns. The dog you got it. Yeah. I tried, but yeah. I'm terrible at them. <laughs> so you're doing that's so there's a revolving topics, exactly. I imagine. Each month. The twenty so second. Yeah, I believe yep. it's October twenty second. You can check the uh, the dogcog.unl.edu mm -hmm. has event listed and also on Facebook you can go to the um, Moral Hall's website mm -hmm. and find it there and on the dog yeah um, and yeah so I'll so it'll be a kind well, of informal time to just chat about dog human bonds and have a have some nice beers from the yeah Happy, Happy Raven. Raven I'm a fan of of beers and science yeah and it's this nice it's usually kind of when I study science <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh man, there's other things I I was. Can I mention just the other thing I wanted to talk to you about? Maybe. But then I'm worried. Yeah, I know you're already like. Can you even pronounce it, you idiot? You don't have that look. Okay, so we're at an hour. Are you good with time? It's fine. I got yep. you nine minutes. Yep, good. It maybe it won't even take nine that. minutes. All right. Okay, so I I came across Luca, L U C A. 
the singular uh, celled organism, those bacteria that supposedly we have spawned from. And they did research on it and said that. That's why I asked you a question about fear at the very, very beginning. Okay. But the reason, what was the major motivation for why that single-celled organism split? And it's a, it's a book by Joseph Ledoux. Do you know who that is, Joseph Ledoux? Yes. He just wrote a book He's called a, yeah. Deep History of Ourselves. Right. He's an emotion. He studies some of yeah. the neuroscience of emotion. And he studies a little bit about, in this particular, I think the, I think the, other line with it is like kind of kind of trying to find out what makes us uniquely why why we have a conscience, mm. and but he talked about Luca and and I want to get your thoughts on it that the original break why that that you know organism broken too was because of fear, and so yeah that's what he how he boils it down for a conversational standpoint. All right, that so, it, whatever so in its input fear shit I don't know that's eight billion years ago you could not try to study that. But they found it's 365 different organisms that they found that have some similar um, DNA structures sure. that mimic or mirror that particular strand. They think that's the mother right. of all of us. Yeah. Um, and not getting into science and religion, it's more about that stuff. But it was the original question I asked you, essentially, which was fear. Mm. And when I get into that plane and I sit there and I, I the, the moments I've got better, the thing that spurred and catalyzed me to kind of um lean into something that's maybe uncomfortable has been fear hmm. so uh what 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 role does fear play in human psychology and only tell me about the positive parts because i'm well <laughs> aware or are there positive no, it's, ones it's a so so it, it's a motivator right fear is a motivator mm -hmm. it motivates behavior um and often what it does so what people when people think about the kind of evolutionary basis function of fear one of the things that comes up is it, it focuses attention, right? Mm. We are constantly bombarded with mm -hmm. information from our, from our sounds, particular from sight, activation system, yeah. kicks on board. <clears throat> right, we have a lot going on. So we're always, so, so our brain is constantly filtering out all this crap that we're not, that we don't need, mm. so, and focusing our attention to things that we do. Um, and so that's one of the thoughts of what fear does, is mm -hmm. it narrows down that there's a th potentially a threat in the environment, mm -hmm. right, usually. And so it basically allows us to really focus on that, to deal with it properly, and, and kind of ignore all of the other things that are really not important at that, at that moment. So that's one, I don't know yeah. if that fits no. in. So, well, I mean, so there's no answer. In the, yeah, in the, yeah. in the yeah. evolutionary sense, yeah. of like, why is it there? Like, it, yeah. it does things for us, right? It's actually beneficial, yeah. it's adaptive to, to have this. Um, <clears throat> what... And, and, you know what that means for us, though, is, is that it can go awry. So, mm -hmm. so we can it can be the, the wrong things can trigger it. So, mm -hmm. so um, I just talked about this in my class today, with uh, in my perspectives class today, with this this idea that we have kind of thresholds that tell us when to do things, I mean, when there's a threat in the environment versus when there's not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you hear a you hear this is kind of like your story with uh, with. Uh, gauge of the dog right? you hear a rustling in the bushes right mm -hmm. so you that could mean that either there's something dangerous there or there's mm -hmm. a, <clears throat> a dog right? sitting over here exactly mm -hmm. so um and your job is to is to make a decision like so you have to set some threshold that says does this sound dangerous enough mm -hmm. that i need to go walk away from this run mm -hmm. away from mm -hmm. this <clears throat> or is it not dangerous enough and i can just you know walk, mm -hmm. walk right by and that allows you to make two errors right there could be something dangerous <laughs> yeah. there and you run away screaming like a like, like a me banshee. yeah right. <laughs> and you know you, you look like a fool it's yeah. embarrassing but that's not terribly costly right. right but if there is something dangerous there and you just charge right past it and miss it like you're dead yeah <clears throat> right right the ultimate price right so 
whose genes get passed on to the next generation? The dead guy who like who mm -hmm. had his threshold set such that he didn't treat the threat as real, or the one who <clears throat> ran away screaming mm. at, at, at no threat. So we're engineered to run away from all that. We're engineered because at one point that was a necessity exactly. in our Absolutely. in our evolution, Absolutely. right? Yeah, that was and, for a long time. And that's though. you know that's just one case. This is something that we face on a daily on a mm -hmm. daily basis. This idea yeah. that. The state of the world could be good or bad, mm -hmm. and we have to decide how to, you know, guess which mm -hmm. state it's in. And if we're right, we get, you know, things go well, and if we're wrong, things go poorly. But depending on which direction it goes, they can be more or less costly. Um, and so that's some of the idea for why, you know, we have excessive fear is that actually <clears throat> the cost of having excessive fear are much less than the cost of having not enough fear. Mm, so, yeah. So it makes makes sense when you look at a real quick answer here too when you look at a working dog like the canine unit that we viewed in grand island mm. does that can does that dog have fear when he he or she or is looking at that in this case we're looking at suited up guy the bite suit you right. know that's a let's say it's a real bad guy yeah is that fear fear of himself herself or is that fear for maybe something happening to you know or do you know, or what would yeah, you surmise? A, so, so, okay. Yeah. Here's my, like, just guess, not, yes, I, thank I don't you. have any evidence on yeah. this, but I mean, my guess is there's not a whole lot of fear in those situations for yeah. those dogs. They've trained, they've trained for this. Mm -hmm. they've, they've like the whole point of the training was to make that situation <clears throat> rewarding to the dog. Mm -hmm. Right. They've, oh, been, they right. Spent, they've spent, you know, weeks or months mm -hmm. rewarding the dog for doing mm -hmm. that. So it's not fear. They're like, like this is what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm built to do. This is what I enjoy doing, perhaps. Um, but I, I don't know that necessarily in those particular cases that, that it's that there's yeah. much fear. Interesting. Well, I, I will let you go. Uh, but Dr. Stevens, thank you again. Yeah, my thank pleasure. You. It was fun. It's we fun. will uh, make sure we got everything so that everybody can check out the event on 21st and the yep. 22nd. Yep. And, um, and then the episode, which will come out probably in a month and change. We'll make sure everybody knows about that. Cool. You get your, but you've been everywhere. So this is just another thing for you. Oh, Hol man. Hollywood. Yeah, it's Hollywood cool. Stevens. That's right. That's Hollywood right. Doc. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. We yeah. appreciate it. Yeah. All right. <laughs>
Hello, hello.